Thank you so much. I was um, just telling Madeline after the service how blessed we are to have her and, and Chris come the distance that they do um, just to be with us. And they do. I've mentioned this before, like on um, Easter Sunday morning, Madeline played for us. And 15 years of age, 15 years old. When I was 15, I was still learning how to tie my shoelaces. <laughs> and she's playing this machine up here, this instrument, just in such a beautiful way and just put our hearts just right on focus. So thank you for, for what you do. So a couple things I wanted to share with you this morning. Um, first of all, I was really, 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 really hard on the first service. They repented. <laughs> because I told them how upset you were about the uh, the, uh, the gardenias. The, the altar was full. I mean, it was just people were wailing and crying because they were so sorrowful over what they had done. I thought at first when Madeline was coming, I said this to Hamp that I thought maybe we'll give we'll get a little bit of reprieve for you because we didn't know she'd be here for the early service and that you'd just get that blessing that you just got and the early service wouldn't get that for the way they acted last week and took all the gardenias from you last time. But nonetheless, she played and I think just a little sneak peek and gave us the, the icing on the cake for this service. So that was really, really beautiful. Anyway, so you should feel good about yourselves now because I hit them really hard so that you could feel better about that. And so hopefully that's behind us now. I was concerned there might be a church split, um, <clears throat> but you just never know what's going to happen with things like this and how people are going to react over a flower. And so um, anyway, we should be okay now. I feel like everything's all right, okay? All right, <clears throat> all silliness aside, happy birthing day to you, ladies. Birthing People Day, right? I mean, that's what this is, right? Birthing, have you heard that? It's no longer, they're promoting not any longer to produce or make this a Mother's Day uh, celebration, but Birthing People Day. And that's that's reality. I look it up, it's hidden pretty fast and heavy. Just read an article this morning from Newsweek. It was written last night. As a congresswoman, evidently, who's pushing this and many other people, and uh, uh, it's all the idea of being inclusive and being gender neutral, and um, on and on it goes. It's just such the state of our society. So um, I just wanted to wish you a happy birthing day celebration today, all of you birthing machines out there, and hope and pray that you have a really great day, and so we can pray and go home now. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Now, I'm making light of it because that's about all you can do with something like that. Um, but it's such a frontal attack against everything that God has established in humanity. And uh, it's very fitting that we would hear something like that today because I hope from the word of the Lord we're going to hear just the opposite of what God has done in his created order and uh, so beautifully done and so purposefully done. And so... Uh, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, just do your homework a little bit and you'll, you'll see what we're, what we're saying here. So uh, certainly we want to be loving and kind and gracious and remember uh, that many people have their eyes and their ears uh, blind spiritually. And so we need to work overtime to make sure that they're hearing the truth. Again, which is what Paul's going to talk to Titus about here in our study this morning. Let's go to a couple of announcements, though. Our youth will be gathering again tonight at 6 p.m. We're still having such a great time of doing that. So 6 p.m. we'll be gathering. Special business meeting next uh, May 23rd. That'll be right after this service. 
to discuss uh, some of the needs of the building and uh, make preparations for some upgrades, which are very necessary. Um, Dee has asked me to remind you that there is a shoebox time always uh, as a ministry, and so there's this ongoing need for uh, shipping costs and, and just donations of various items. And uh, you can see Dee afterwards if you have any questions. Make sure you listen and read her uh, emails that come out from various at various times throughout the year. Uh, but that is always an ongoing need. And then tonight, a special blessing for those of you that have nothing else to do. Uh, Matthew West, who's a, a um, singer-songwriter uh, in the Christian world himself, is doing a virtual concert. And so Hamp's going to be showing that tonight here in the sanctuary at 6 p.m. as well. So uh, it's all free. You can come and just enjoy yourself for that. And I think you'll be blessed. All right. So now that it's Mother's Day, and that's what we'll call it for our purposes, because that's what it is, Uh, so we honor you ladies in being here, and all those who are joining us online, we're glad to have you join us as well uh, for this very, very special day. And because it's a special day, uh, I want us to jump away from Matthew just another week. We'll probably do this for Father's Day as well. And focus on some things that God gives as instruction to mothers and uh, to uh, really just any woman in general, as you're going to see this in, as Paul opens up his thoughts to Titus. Uh, if for no other reason, it's a good reminder for us, as we should always be uh, looking to the Lord to give us what he wants from us for, for our understanding, for his glory. Uh, perhaps this will be a little new to some of you, and so I hope you'll listen attentively either way. But either way, uh, it is God's word, and so we need to listen to what he says, for us, says to us. So let's pray, and uh, then we'll stand and read the text. Father, we thank you for uh, the privilege and the honor and the joy of gathering. Uh, Lord, we listen to beautiful music like we just heard, and then uh, those who have such talent to lead us every week uh, in drawing our hearts into you, we thank you, Father, that it is such a wonderful preamble, if you will, to the, to the word. And it just sets our hearts on the right stage so that we can hear you. And so, Lord, if we're paying attention to the words that we sing, we hear your word nestled in them often. Uh, but there's nothing like taking time to devote our hearts to the word itself and to listen to what you have to say to us. And Lord, Lord so we, we would ask that you would feed us that you would teach us, uh, both male and female, young and old, that we might grow to be greater servants of yours. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so please stand with me as we talk about the role of a godly woman. The role of a godly woman from Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Paul writes to Titus, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love and perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Now, as every year comes along and with all kinds of special messages, I try to find something that I believe is going to be good instruction for us, and I think God has that for us today. I just feel like this is where the Lord settled me earlier in the week. So let's uh, just get some background here as we're 
focusing on this particular text. Some of you may not understand it or know what's going on, so let me just fill you in. Uh, In this letter, Paul is instructing young Titus on several subjects, and we're not going to take time to look at all of those, of course, but I do want to give you the first couple here as he introduces his thoughts, and that is in chapter 1, he is to... Titus, that is, is to appoint elders in the church. Those are the godly men who have uh, certain giftedness and spiritual uh, requirements that God lays out there in that letter. He will also do the same thing in 1 Timothy. But specifically to Titus, he's saying, look, the church needs this. This is what your first plan of action is to be. Now, let me just say this, and you'll hear this throughout. Uh, Our God is a God of order. He is a God of of, uh, symmetry, if you will. He is a God of things being in its proper place. And uh, so you know that the enemy is the God of chaos, right? That's what scripture teaches us. Our God is a God of order. He is not the God of chaos. And so in his word, we see just that, his orderliness, teaching us how he as God, the creator of the universe, the creator of all things, wants us to live our lives. And so we need to pay attention to this. And so first of all, Paul then gives Titus this understanding that there needs to be good godly leadership. That's another subject. We could go on with that. But in chapter 2 now, he is saying to us, as we just read there, teach sound doctrine. This is the second thing. I want you, Titus, to teach sound doctrine. Now, what does that really mean? Well, the word sound is the word in Greek that we get the word healthy or hygiene from, okay, or well-being. It means healthy, whole, well, that kind of thing. Put it along the word doctrine, which means instruction or information, And Paul is saying to Titus, I am wanting you to teach healthy, whole doctrine, instruction. Give healthy instruction to the church. That is your primary task beyond all things. And that was critically important in the church at the time because if you read the letter, you'll understand that the Jewish converts then were trying to draw people back into Judaism. This was a constant pull on the church in the early days where people were getting saved out of Judaism, but they were drawing people back into Judaism because that's what they knew for so long. And this was a new thing. And so God has to do a lot of correcting. And he uses Paul and others, Titus and Timothy and many other people, to draw people away from that old line of thinking. That is a dead system now that Christ has come. And he has fulfilled all things. But this was upsetting people greatly that this was happening that they were being drawn back into these old ways of doing things. And their basis for the wrong doctrine was that they said that they knew God, but yet their lives were not living it. And this is always the message, right? We want to have the life that expresses outwardly what we say we believe inwardly. And so to help with all of this, now Paul specifically says to Titus to teach, starting with the various groups of people in the church. This is very practical. It's very hands-on. But this is what you're to do. Set up elders, and then I want you to teach the people, the young men, the old men, the older women, and the younger women. We're going to focus on the two groups of the women today because this is Mother's Day. Okay, now, because these are the ones who are the mothers, if not themselves, they have great influences over mothers. There are a lot of young women who are not mothers. There are a lot of older women who are not mothers. And so I like the term Mother's Day There's nothing wrong with that. We specifically want to focus on you ladies who are that way. But just understand, even if you're not a mother, there is instruction here for you because you are a great influence to those who are mothers. 
Now, secondly, because God wants his church to be filled with old and young alike. That's why he gives the instruction the way he does. There are many groups today who are segregating even age groups, creating a greater and greater generational gap. When God has nothing like that in his mind, he wants the church to be filled with all age groups. We're not to just associate with one particular group or the other. We're not to just focus on one group or the other, but we're to be a church that is full in all these ways, made up of all different age groups, all working together for the common good and to the glory of God. That's really our purpose in everything. All right now, with those few thoughts in mind, with the background, let's just jump right in now to verse 3 and look at some of the instructions first, beginning with the older women. So ladies, listen to what is said here. Older women are to be reverent in their behavior. I'm not changing that. I thought about creating another way to say that, but God always says it best, and this is abundantly clear. Older women are to be reverent in their behavior. Now, you might be asking, I don't know if I like this term older women. That must be talking about my mother or my grandmother or my great-grandmother or my great-great-grandmother. Who is this that we're really talking about? Well, Paul helps us with that just by the usage of the word. This word older is a word that is a reference to women who are beyond the child-rearing years. Okay, So put it that way. You say, well, what year is that? Some of you would like to be that a lot earlier than it is even now. But typically, according to the timing of all of when this was written, is around the age of 60. Okay, Around 60. Now you might gasp at that, but understand that there's a difference between child rearing and child bearing. Right? So there is a distinction here. Child bearing typically ends around the age of 40 to 45, somewhere in there, Okay, at the further end of the spectrum. Now, I just heard of a woman who just gave birth to a child who was 58, okay? and that does happen. There are miracles we know of even in the Bible where God is able to overcome the age of life with people, and, and that happens. But just understand, for the purposes of which Paul is writing here, typically 60 is about the end of the child-rearing age. So he says to these older women, you are to be reverent. Reverent. Now, what that literally means is to be dignified. Not just dignified in the sense of how it relates to the world and society, but specifically reverent or dignified in spiritual terms. You're to be reverent spiritually. We could say you're to be God-fearing women, God-honoring women. You are to be holy women. That's what the indication is here, meaning... This older woman then is to spend her time paying attention to herself spiritually. That is the emphasis. Focusing on the right spiritual and mental attitudes that go along with that part of life, with these years that you find yourself in. Focusing on God, who he is, learning about him still continuously, about your life, about your family, about your husband, if he's still around, your children, and basically everything that you live for is to be a God-centered life. And that should be abundantly obvious, even as we just study the text of Scripture in many other places. Paul said something similar to this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.9. He says, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, 
modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. So if that's you this morning, you should probably just leave, right? No, that's not what you should do because that's not what he's talking about here in itself. But rather, verse 10, by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Now, what's he talking about there? What he's really saying is, I'm not so much concerned. We'll talk about this physical part a little bit later. He's not so much concerned about that as much as he is the heart. A godly woman is not to be all about what she wants from the world or anything else. That's not the emphasis that God wants from his godly older women, but to be more concerned about her heart spiritually. Where am I spiritually before God? Now, we could easily from that say it's not wrong for you ladies to dress up and to wear the things that you wear as long as they're God-honoring. Again, we'll talk about that in a minute. To paint the face, you know, you've heard the expression, there's nothing wrong with a little paint on the barn every now and then, right? I'm going to get myself in big trouble this morning, aren't I? Already down that path, I can tell. Well, that's okay. We're going to just make it really worse as we go along here. The emphasis here is the beauty of the woman in the heart. Again, I can't overemphasize that with godliness as her focus. Because when godliness is the focus of the heart, then the external part of life begins to take care of itself, right? That's just standard procedure. When behavior is what God wants it to be, then everything else will exemplify the behavior of the heart. It'll come out in every area of life. And so, number one, Paul just simply says, and again, I don't like with many things that Paul instructs on, I don't believe this is an exhaustive list, but I do believe that this is what God wants us to hear specifically, or he wouldn't have written it this way. So, ladies, just understand, your goal is to glorify the Lord at this place in your life. Should be for every woman, though, right? From the youngest to the oldest, but specifically in the church, you are to be examples of this. All right, now secondly, in verse 3, he says the older or godly, the older godly woman is to not be a malicious gossip. Not be a malicious gossip. What does he mean by that? Well, gossip is a negative word that means slander or to accuse somebody falsely. It's the negative connotation. This is not just simply bringing up something about someone that you have a concern about. Oftentimes we'll say things, oh, I shouldn't gossip. Well, it's not gossip if you're just letting somebody know something, if your heart and your motive is pure behind what you're doing. It becomes gossip when it's slanderous, when it's falsely accusing someone of something, which is exactly how the authorized version says this. If you have that translation, some of you do, Titus 2.3 reads that aged women likewise be reverent in demeanor, not slanderers. Okay, that's very clear. In fact, the King James, if you have that, you probably see it written this way. They are not to be false accusers. It's actually, in my opinion, I love the New American Standard, but this is a great translation to hear it written that way. I think it's much clearer. And the reason is, is because these are references to Satan himself. This is how he's brought up in Scripture as the accuser. This is the word, if you look at the Greek word, is just that for Satan. He is the slanderer, meaning that you are living your life very much in line with the slanderer, capital S, if you want to put it that way, when you live a life of gossip. Okay? 
And the reason that Paul's pointing this out to the older women is because men have a tendency to put down others, if you will, or be negative towards other men in the sense of uh, physically doing something, typically speaking. And I want to say it that way because there's nothing 100% when it comes to this, these actions and reactions. But typically speaking, men will take the approach of, if I really want to get my point across, we'll just duke it out. Right? We'll, we'll, we'll wrestle on the floor. It'll, it'll turn into some kind of brawl in that kind of nature. That's the natural tendency of men to go that direction. You know, People will say, oh, I wish I could just see him. I'd just give him a fistful right now. Again, that's, you may say, I've never done that. Well, I hope not. I hope you've never acted like that. But typically, that's the way men act. Let's just fight it out. But women are not so prone to that kind of reaction. Typically speaking, women use their tongue as their tool of choice. They use what God has given to them to bless others in order to bring others down and deal with people in a negative way, making their verbiage very destructive. Not that women don't use their fists in some cases. I remember being on a school bus one time and saw the worst fight I've ever seen between two girls. And it was terrible, pulling hair, scratching, clawing, the bus driver couldn't get the bus stopped quickly enough. But nonetheless, women typically use the tongue beyond. And I think that's why God particularly points this out as a typical way to help women to understand this. Basically saying the tongue is a deadly tool. It can be, in other words. Which is exactly what James brings up in his letter, chapter 3. Verse 5, the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire? And the tongue is a fire. The very word of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of birds and beasts of reptile and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Now, admittedly, that instruction from James is to both male and female alike, and it should be because we all have this little tool inside of our bodies that creates such havoc at times. But the general usage here from Paul to Titus is to the women to the older women in particular, to be careful about the harshness with which your tongue can be used. I guess I could ask each of you how many of you would remember the times that maybe your mother or a grandmother or a significant older woman in your life gave you a tongue lashing that you've not forgotten to this day. And you know that the tongue can be very uh, damaging even to the emotional part of our souls. This is what makes it so difficult is that we could duke it out in the floor and get up and be best buddies in the next minute like little boys will do. But when the tongue is involved in giving out its lashing, often that's remembered years and years later. Some of you even now as I'm bringing it up can remember the voice in your mind and hear that same scenario repeated over and over again of how challenging it was to hear from that person who was to be your confidant and your help give you a lashing of the tongue. Now, sometimes we deserved it, right? We needed it. Let's just be honest. 
And mom was there to give us what we needed and to straighten us out. But the truly godly woman, Paul says, is not to be a slanderer. She's not to be a false accuser, but always careful with her words to be edifying and uplifting, to be godly in her speech so that people are just that edified and grow in the Lord and not be brought down. So ladies, be careful with your tongue. Be cautious of your tongue. Thirdly, the older woman is not woman is not to be enslaved to much wine. Not to be enslaved to much wine. You may say, why is this here? It doesn't sound like it would be a real issue. Well, it is for some. Uh, this word enslaved means servitude. To be brought under the control, if you will, or slavery. And we all know what that means. And I would think that the reason that this is part of the instruction is because in that day, many women were left alone. It wasn't life as normal as it is now in a lot of cases. The world was much different back then. Often women were just subjects left alone to care for themselves. They were just tools. They were birthing people. Sounds like we're kind of reverting back to that, right? And that's the way society was. And so either due to that or due to the death maybe of the husband and having no means to provide for herself or whatever the other evils in her life may have been, as a result, she may have turned to the bottle to alleviate all the pains that she just can't deal with. And again, that's nothing new. We've watched that over the years, and there have been many people who have been uh, viciously attacked by that negative habit. And so God says, as you're getting older, understand that that's not what you are to lean on. Sadly, there are older women who still find that. I know of some people now in life that... Uh, have just that problem. Uh, You go to various parts of the house and you'll see um, a a hidden bottle here or there, and I'm not talking about my wife, okay? (laughs) I mean, if she's done that, it's because I've brought her to that place. (laughs) But, you know, we'll work on that on Father's Day and uh, hopefully straighten out some of that. So I'm not talking about her, but there are people to this day who struggle with this, and it's because there's some need for an outlet and they think that's the way to go. And so God says, no, that's not the way to go. You are to teach the women that wine has no place in their life because there are other other avenues for her, namely the church. We have one another, right? To be the true church does not mean that we are gossips, right? We don't stir up trouble with our words, but we are edifying to the point where these godly older women who find themselves alone and in great need can come and get the comfort that they need from the church. That's one avenue, or just simply from the Lord himself. And so the Lord's instruction is very, very clear here. She doesn't need the bottle because that'll just bring dishonor to God and other people will watch her and who are uninformed, and this is why there's such a need for instruction, sound instruction, they'll watch her and say, oh, well, that must be the best path to go on. That's what we're watching in our culture. We have a culture of younger people growing up, younger women growing up who have no instruction in godliness, and they're just pulling out the next thing out of the hat, which is what we were talking about, a birthing parent. What in the world is that? That's just a machine. No, we're here to honor the precious, priceless treasure that moms are created in God's image, right? So this is why it's so important. All right, now, Paul swings back to the positive instruction. I'm going to move on quickly here because we've got a lot to cover. Fourth, teaching what is good. Now, the word teaching is simply the word for instruction. 
That should be clear by now. In this context, though, it's not just instruction about everything. That's noble and in its right place. But specifically, he's talking about spiritually. Teaching spiritual life, both inwardly and externally. In fact, the phrase, teaching what is good, is actually one word in the Greek. And in English, you know how translations go. They have to change things in order to make it sen- make sense in that context. But this word in Greek literally means to teach or instruct what is morally right. What is morally right. Now again, there are many things in the same way that are morally right that can be taught and should be taught by older women. That should be obvious. But again, in context here, this word is focusing on teaching even more specifically the one, capital O, who is morally right, obviously about Jesus. Older women, God says, one of your functions is to be able to teach and show other, and we'll see this in a minute, younger women especially, what it means to have a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Very, very clear here. In fact, Jesus said this of himself when he was questioned about who he was. In Luke 18, a ruler came to him and said, Good teacher, acknowledging him again, what shall we do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' immediate response is, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone, meaning Jesus was saying, If you're calling me good and God is the only one who is good, then I must be God, right? Right. We got that right. So yes, I am God. And so the idea is you ladies are to teach the one who is Christ to the younger women. That's part of your responsibility. That is a godly older woman's instruction so that they see the younger women and those whom you have influence over see the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Now, with that being said, for the older women, let's transition to the younger women and I think what's important here is to understand that there's not a dissection here so where there's the older women on one side of the room and the younger on the other, but that we're seeing the blendedness of this in the instruction. There's a uniqueness to the age groups that Paul is talking to here, but he wants them to understand that your life is not over. And I want you to hear me on this this morning. I believe God is shouting through this, older women, your life is not over. God is not done with you yet. There is a responsibility that he is looking to you for. And that is what we see here in this next part of verse 3. Notice Titus 2 verse 3. Older women likewise are to be this way. We've just covered that. Verse 4. So that, so that they may encourage the younger women. There is a great and definite purpose in the instruction of the Lord for you older women. God does not want you to forget about the younger women who are following you. You must leave to them a legacy. And how's that going to happen? Well, dads can do that, and dads are given the calling of leadership, certainly, and we'll talk about that more. But you women have a distinct function in training the younger women. Notice he says, encourage You are to encourage the younger women. That means to call to one's senses, to bring to life in the senses. Kind of like you walk home, you go home today and you smell something cooking in the crock pot and you go, ah, it's good. I like that. I'm hungry. Let's eat. Well, that's an encouragement. It's the same thing here. Encourage these young ladies to be sound in mind and self-control, closely related to being sensible. You're to teach them to be sensible 
so that the younger women are to listen. And by the way, ladies now who are younger, who are beyond that childbearing age is who he's transitioning into now. You're also not only to just do your own thing, but you're to be taking the instruction. And this is going to come to light very clearly here as we move into verse 4. Seven things we'll go through quickly here that Paul lays out for younger women to pay attention to from the older women. Okay, So younger ladies, don't think that God has no instruction for you from the older women. He does. So it's a mutual association here. First of all, teach the younger women to love their husbands. Now when you read that at first glance, you might be like I am and you say, what? That should just be blatantly obvious. But the reality is, guess what? That's not obvious. It is not obvious. Why? Because again, young women are not being instructed in how to love their husbands. Often, unfortunately, the older women who are not following the things of God will say, well, just leave him then. You don't need him. After all, I left your father or whatever it might be. Lots of reasons behind all of this. So Paul says to Titus, look, you've got to teach these young women to love their husbands. Now, I was kind of intrigued by this again, and I realized that the sad reality is that there are a lot of young women who fall out of love with their husbands and are the seekers of divorce. In fact, this morning even I was challenged in my mind about how many women really are the ones who seek divorce. Because I'm always kind of thinking in my mind, it's the men who are doing the seeking. But that is not true according to statistics. I found this article in uh, divorcemag.com. Okay? And I wasn't reading this just so I could get refresher course on what I need to know. Uh, but because I think it's relevant for our information today. So the title of the article from a divorce lawyer who wrote this article just back in February said this, six reasons why women are more likely to file for divorce than men. In fact, statistics, he says, show that women initiate divorce up to 80% of the time. 80% of the time. And here are those six reasons. Most women no longer dream of being housewives. They want to satisfy careers and marriages. That's number one. We'll talk about that later. Women look forward to true equality of the sexes. Men look backward to the golden age of marriage. That's interesting. Women are less willing to accept unhappy relationships than men. Four, men are often believed that they have more to lose in a divorce than women. Women are quick. That's interesting, isn't it? Women are quicker to consult a lawyer than men. Women are much more aware of the emotional health of their marriages than men. Now, he discusses uh, some of these things at length in other ways that we don't have time to go through, but if you want that information, I'll be glad to give it to you. Now, that's the lawyer's take on all of this, but I think you're going to find some real relevancy in what he's finding in this as we look at these first two particularly that he brings up. Over the years... And I'm talking about going back to Genesis. Okay, So if you will, with me in your mind, go back to Genesis chapter 3 to the Garden of Eden. The role of women has been greatly challenged even since then. And this is not something new if you've been studying the scriptures with us. Uh, you know that the feminist movement that really took full steam in the late 50s and the 60s and even progressed even more has just gone in an explosive way Uh, The liberal movement of the women's liberation people um, has just catapulted all of this. But the reality is there is a natural tendency of women to want to be in control. 
There's a natural tendency. And I want to prove this to you from Scripture. And that is that natural tendency to be in control is to be anything but in love with the husband in its most uh, drawn-out proportion, if you will. Genesis chapter 3 says this, which is what he says as a result of what happened because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve. Okay, So that's the context. Adam and Eve have now disobeyed, and God now comes to them with their punishment. In verse 16, he says to the woman, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth your children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now the last part of verse 16 is what's often missed by most men and women particularly. If you ask the average woman, and again I'm choosing my words carefully here because many of you already know this, but if you ask the average woman what was the curse on women in the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, the first thing they're going to say is, oh, there's pain in childbirth, right? But many women miss the second part of the curse, which is right here in verse 16. Specifically, that when Eve stepped out from under the protective role of her husband, Adam, which is what God had said to Adam, don't take part in the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, right? Stay away from that. But she stepped out from under that, and God cursed her as a result. And that's what we were just reading. And that curse was she will spend all of her days fighting against his headship in the home. She will spend all of her days doing that. Kind of like God says, okay, you made a choice without listening to your husband to be and do what you want to do. And so now for the rest of your life, and that was passed on to every person after her, you're going to fight the same battle. You're going to want to take control of the home, which is exactly what we see in the home today. And most godly women who recognize this principle will even see that in themselves. It's not that it's a purposeful kind of thing, but they are aware that I like it this way. And every man who has any brains in his head will say, yes, dear. Of course, dear. Absolutely, that's the way we're going to do it. Right? (laughs) Why would we do it any other way? How foolish of me to come up with another thought, right? And so, and I'm, I'm making fun of it, but that's, that's what typically happens. And, and most counseling with couples is just this. It's centered on something like this. It's amazing, but it shouldn't be because God told us. It's not like he kept it secret from us, right? It's not like he's going to say, oh, let me do this and you're not going to know it. You're going to struggle within your home and then eventually I'll reveal it to you. No, the problem is exactly why Paul is saying to Titus, instruct, teach. Here's the problem so that you don't have this problem, right? But we do have this problem. Now, because of the usage, let's get back to Genesis here. Because of the usage of the word in Genesis 4, actually, let me back up. Paul says in verse 3, or unlike what people think, or excuse me, Moses writing this, that in Genesis 3, he's not saying a woman's desire will be to her husband in a sexual sense. That's what people typically think that to be, and that seems to stand to reason, but that's not what's being said here. 
but that he will, she will desire to take the leadership from him. And we know that by the context. Now let me prove that part to you in Genesis 4, the very next chapter. This is when God is now cautioning Cain about his jealousy against his brother Abel. Just before he kills him in verse 8. God says in verse 7, If you do well, Cain, will not your countenance be lifted up? In other words, listen, if you look to your brother for good things and you live your life in a good way, you're going to have a happy life. It's a no-brainer, right? But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Just look at the context here. And it's, here it is, desire is for you. But you must master it. Do you see the word desire there? It's the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 3 of Eve's desire for her husband. Now if you put the two together, you come up with the conclusion that the desire of the woman is not to love her husband lovey-dovey. The desire is to usurp his authority just like Cain listened to sin and it took over him. It's, referring to sins, desire will be to take over you. But you must master this. And so the same thing would be said, Eve, you must master this desire to be in control. It will get the best of you and it will destroy your home. So Paul comes along years later and he says, teach these women to love their husbands. Why? Because their tendency is going to be to usurp that love. Is that clear? I hope it is. Now, let's keep going with this just for a minute. Go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, because a lot of people don't like this. This is when God made Adam and Eve. He says, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and of the birds in the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see the word rule there in verse 28? If you go back now to Genesis 3.16, so kind of just keep this in your mind, Genesis 1.28 and Genesis 3.16, it's not the same word, even though it's translated in English as the same word rule. Both chapters, Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve and her submission to, the, to her husband is the word rule translated in English there. In Hebrew, however, these are two different words. It's just that tr- the translators use the same word because that's all we have in English. What Genesis 3.16 is talking about in the context of Adam ruling his wife is a loving, kind, gracious, merciful, submission kind of ruling mercy in the relationship. But in Genesis 1.28, the word is where we get the word martial from or like martial law, which says, my way or the highway, do this or else. But notice in the context of Genesis 1, God is saying to Adam and Eve, you have been given the authority to rule the created order, talking about the animal world and everything else. But not so with your spouse. It's not the same meaning. It's not the same intention here. There's a different kind of ruling in the home. Yes, order. Yes, construct. Yes, Uh, regulations, if you will, spiritually, but it's not with the same heart. There is a mutual submission. And so Paul instructs Titus then to instruct the older women to teach the younger women to love their husbands. They have to be taught that. And even in Titus 3, 4, 
the word for love is not the word for sexual expression, but he's basically saying teach them to have a willing, determined love. Not just to give your body, and by the way, not even based on your husband, but just simply from following who you are as a child of God and not your husband's worthiness, because a lot of women will argue that. Well, he's not worthy of my love. This is not about his worth. This is about obeying the Lord and submitting to what God has said out of obedience to his command. So you say, well, even if my husband is a scoundrel, I'm to love that worthless creature? God says, yes, if he wants to stay in the marriage. And I say that because if he's truly a scoundrel, he's not born again. And Paul covers that in 1 Corinthians of the believer staying married to the non-believer if they want to stay in the relationship. And we don't have time to cover all of that. So just understand this is not a command for a woman to love her husband when he's just kind and good. But out of obedience to the Lord as a witness to the world. And God will deal with the scoundrel in his own way. And we'll cover that on Father's Day. All right? So just relax. His day's coming. Secondly, teach the younger women to love their children. Again, you'd think this would be obvious, but so many women find their children to be more of irritations and interruptions in their lives, um, just something that they have to put up with that they weren't expecting uh, because they weren't living the kind of life that they should have been, and so everything goes downhill from there. According to the World Health Organization, you've heard of that group, haven't you? Every year in the world there are an estimated 40 to 50 million abortions. This corresponds to approximately 125,000 abortions per day. In the U.S., where nearly half the pregnancies are unintended and four in ten of these are terminated by abortion, there are over 3,000 abortions per day. That's the U.S. alone. 22% of all pregnancies in the U.S., excluding miscarriages, end in abortion. According to the most recent federal data, there are currently more than 400,000 children in foster care in the U.S. They range in age from infants to 21 years of age in some states. Of the 400,000 children in foster care, approximately 120,000 are waiting to be adopted. Moms, older women, teach the younger women to love your children. Why? Because if you don't, this is the result. And God says, listen, conversely in Psalm 127.3, children are a gift from the Lord. A gift. The fruit of the womb is a reward, not a curse. Not a curse. You remember the story back in Genesis of Jacob and his brother Esau, where Jacob swindled his brother Esau out of the birthright. Well, some years later when Esau finally caught up to him and Jacob was literally running for his life, He encounters his brother and Esau looks at him and says, what am I seeing here? And in chapter 33, verse 5, we read where Esau says, who are these children with you? He says, these are the children whom God has graciously given your servant. So even Jacob understood this. God has graciously given to us, to you women, these precious children. And God wants his children to understand this All of us, but especially mothers. That baby is not a blight on your life, but a precious gift from God. And you are to treat them that way. But people need to be taught this. It's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? It would seem so intuitive, but it's not. And obviously the numbers prove that. 
Thirdly, verse 5, teach them to be sensible. This is the same meaning behind elder qualification. Interesting, he's just, interestingly, he's just talked about in that in chapter 1. He said in verse, chapter 1, verse 8, for the men who are to be elders, they are to be hospitable, loving what is good, sensible. That means that they're not controlled by their emotions. They don't just make decisions based off of a whim or just because they see something a certain way. This is one of the things I love about our elders. They're not men who are just easily pulled in some direction because of somebody's emotion or somebody's thought process or what somebody thinks should happen, but through prayer and careful examination, they make decisions. This word sensible is sober, sound in mind, in a right mind. In other words, not crazy. And look at our world. Our world is absolutely crazy. Why? Because it's not being taught. It has to be taught. Not full of foolishness, the word would mean. Not motivated by feelings and desires, but soundness or what makes sense. That's what I was just talking about. And it's really a difficult thing to do, quite honestly, for everyone, because we're all emotional people. But particularly in the context of women, this is particularly tough because, again, women typically speaking, are more emotion-based, have a tendency to make their decisions from their emotion. And sensibility ends up going out the window in a lot of cases. Now, this is not fair to say this of everybody, but you understand older women, while you're to settle the younger women who have a tendency to go kind of ballistic when something goes on, and you come along behind them and say, now, honey, just settle down a minute. Let's think about this. Is that what really happened? Well, 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 And it's just the machine gun fire, right? And that's why we have to hear these kind of instructions. And so the older women are to do just that. Don't fly off the handle. Don't get weird. Don't act like that. Don't bounce from person to person or anyone else, but be dedicated to your family, even when it's not the greatest situation. Because that's the life of a godly person, to live in a godly, orderly fashion. Because a mother can't be effective in parenting if she's all over the place. Because if she's all over the place, then guess what's going to happen to little Junior or little Sally? They're going to be all over the place. Because we learn out of God's creative order that our first way to go is to follow the ones who birthed us and brought us into the world. And again, it's similar like a man cannot be an elder if he's driven by his passions, if he's driven by his own desires and motivated that way. All right, number four, teach young women to be pure. This is the idea of sexual purity, moral purity, to be modest in the heart and therefore in the lifestyle. Because again, what is in the heart comes out in the lifestyle, meaning the young women are to pay attention to that attracts things to themselves. Now, I've had conversations with women about this. My wife has helped me learn these things. That a lot of times, women do what they do for the sake of other women, and I think that's an honest assessment. Women often dress for other women. Here's the problem: men don't do that. Typically speaking, men are motivated by sight typically speaking. And so when a little beautiful flower walks by or flies by or buzzes by, they immediately follow the little 
Well, I should say the buzz, not the flower. When a, a bee is landing on the flower, you, you get the picture? You understand what I'm saying here? The men have a tendency to follow that. And so the instruction here is that be careful, younger women. You older women, teach the younger women. Be careful here because here's how a man typically operates. And you don't want to do anything provocative. You don't want to be flirtatious. You don't want to be any way, any form that's going to cause some distraction from what God wants, especially if you're married to a man already. You never want anybody to ever think that your husband's not the guy that everybody should go to, but just you alone, if you understand what I'm saying. That's not the way it should be for my people to go after just anything. All right, let's get ourselves really into trouble here now in verse 5. Teach young women to be workers at home. Workers at home. Now, you heard the lawyer say one of the main reasons why women want divorce is because they want to be in the work field, in the work world. So I understand the difficulty in this particular instruction and in one last one we're going to see. And there's a lot of irritation that comes up by this. But the problem typically comes from what we talked about in Genesis chapter 3. A lot of times the tendency among women is to feel, hey, I'm not going to be suppressed. I'm going to be in control and this is what I'm going to do. I should go to the top just like anybody else. I'm not going to argue that side of the coin. What I am simply saying here is what God said through Paul to Titus. Teach the young women to be workers at home. Now, what we've learned is it's just not cool to be a woman who works at home. That's just not cool. The world says men just want to suppress me. They want to push me down. They want to dominate me. They want me to not use my abilities. And unfortunately, that's true in a lot of cases. Let's just call it what it is. There are a lot of ungodly men who would do just that. Create women to be just objects. But that is not God. God has no interest in suppressing anyone. He is the great liberator. He is the greatest of liberators, right? That's why Paul could write to the churches in Galatia. There's neither male nor female, nor slave nor free man, nor bond nor however he says that, right? Everybody's equal spiritually. Why? Because that's what the Spirit of God does. He liberates people. And so every woman has a role to fulfill. That's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about suppressing someone. He's saying you have a role to fill. Somebody to be bound to the home is like slavery. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a woman who has her heart for her family. That's her priority. And she makes the home her life's priority where her family is loved and nurtured and cared for. Now, that doesn't mean that she doesn't have the ability to go out and do certain things. Proverbs 31 talks about that. Where a woman cares for her home, but yet she goes out and she sells her items, the things that she's made and whatever, and uses those to buy things for her family. It's not that God is so concerned about that. What he's concerned about is the woman being distracted from her priority, which is to be concerned about what's happening in the home. I guess a better way to say this would be teach her to have a heart for her home, a heart for her home. But again, she can't fulfill that if she's pulled in all kinds of different directions with the demands of life coming at us as they do, which is exactly what happens. And has happened. Due to inflation, many husbands have said, hey, if we're going to keep living this kind of lifestyle, you've got to get out there and work. That's happened. 
Some women have felt the pressure of all that. Women have been forced to spend hours outside of the home, not because they wanted to, but because in some cases there was nobody there to take care of them. Or the men neglected their responsibility. Or to some other situation. The tragedy is many women have also either ignored or just made bad choices or been, like I said, forced to be in situations that they don't want and even worse, that people won't help them. Listen, God very clearly gives us instruction on how we're to take care of the widows. I think really what we could do is we could do the same thing as a church. In other words, Paul very clearly says to Timothy, don't put somebody on the list of widows to care for if they haven't been a godly woman and they're not at least the age of 60. Don't put them on the list to care for them. But I think we could easily say, but if there's a woman who's been caught up in a life that she's had struggle after struggle after struggle and she doesn't have anybody to care for her, then the responsibility should fall on the church to be the benevolent caregiver for that woman to help her in the situation of life that she's in always with the goal in mind to get her out of that and help her to follow Christ. In other words, we could say this. Listen, it is not the role of the government to be the benevolent ministry of the country. That's not the role of the government. That's what people want the government to be because the more you give out money to people and daily sustenance to people, the easier life becomes, and so they go right to the source every time. Well, if the source is the church taking care of the needs of the people, then guess where they're going to come? They're going to come to the church. They're not going to look to the government. The government's function is twofold, to protect life and property. That's it. Life and property. The role of the church is to be the benevolent function in the society. But we, as God's people, have even greatly neglected that truth, and it's a sad reality, and we find ourselves not guiltless of the problem of society. In fact, just recently I met with a, a, a little girl, Debbie and I met with a young girl um, who's a victim of, of this kind of home. And it's a tragedy. And I don't have to tell you about all the statistics. I've already mentioned those to you. Jesus said the law is summarized in two, way, lo- two ways. Love God with all your heart and what? Love people as you love yourself. And he didn't qualify who that would be. All right. Now, so again, just to be clear, God's not opposed to a woman helping outside the home. That's not the issue with financial matter, but he wants her to have a heart and a priority for the home. Too many women set out in the opposite direction because why? They haven't been taught. They haven't been instructed. Some will say, I've spent too much time on school. I've spent too much money to turn back now. I have this career goal and this plan. Uh, They feel like if they don't do that, it's just a waste of their time and their energy. They don't want to deal with irritating children all day. But on the contrary, when a woman lives according to God's plan, Romans 8:28, then all things work together for good. And there are lots of people who've had this. I'm, I've known people who have spent their life years making financial ends meet. I know of a family right now that lives in another state that for years, um, mom decided she was going to stay home and they struggled greatly financially. I mean, they were the powdered milk people, the... Uh, Everything you can think of, they did it to pinch pennies. And now he has a very successful business. They have several homes that they've paid for cash with. And they've just phenomenally done well. And she's always been right there in the home. But it was not always that way. Because they determined that they were going to do it God's way. Were they perfect? No, absolutely not. But God blessed them, I believe, and honored them. And they're seeing the fruit of all of that. 
Now, that's also not to say that God is going to just bless us financially just because we do something right. But God has promised he will provide our needs. Has he not? Yes, he has. All right, six. Let's keep going quickly. Teach them to be kind. That word is just good. She is to be good to others. Kind-hearted, gentle, compassionate, sympathetic, and again, even to those people who don't deserve it. That's not a qualifier. We are this way and to be this way because God is kind. Listen, don't you love that word? Our God is a kind God. This morning we're here breathing his air, using all his stuff, and he lets us do it, whether we give him the credit for it or not, right? How many of us are worthy of God's kindness this morning? None of us, but yet he is kind. And so this young woman is to be taught to be kind. Give to her husband who's to love her. And even if her husband doesn't love her, she is kind and good to him. Why? Because she first is obedient to the Lord and does what she does for God's sake. And there's so much more we could talk about that. And I understand we're just barely skimming the surface. Um, And maybe at some point we'll get to that. All right, finally, number seven, be subject to your own husbands. Okay, let's dig the grave a little bit further, deeper, more deep. Again, knowing this is a very difficult instruction and many older women struggle with as well. But like before, this plan is not to enslave women. That's not what God's talking about here. But it's all about the orderliness. It's the same subject. God is the God of order. He's not the God of chaos. And he wants his children to live in an orderly way. Listen, in fact, to how Paul explains this in Ephesians 5. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Right? Pretty clear. Here's the model. For the husband is the head of the wife, watch the progression, as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Now, let's clarify some things here. Notice this word, or these words, be subject, in the text there. Now, if you have a translation that puts those words in italics, That means that those words simply weren't in the newest and better, we'll qualify it that way, translations. But they're there out of assumption. And they're there out of assumption because of what we read in verse 21 just prior to this, where Paul is talking about how we are to all be subject to one another. And I don't want you to miss this. Hang in there with me just a little bit longer and we'll be done. Don't miss this because this is a big stumbling point for a lot of women and men. In verse 21 of Ephesians 5, Paul is saying, All of you be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. He comes along in just a couple verses later and he says, Now you wives, in the same way, be subject to your husbands. So here's the progression. Men, you are to live under Christ in subjection to him. And then you translate that loving submission to the leadership in your home. And wives, you then are to submit to your husband as he submits to Christ. It's a beautiful illustration of the orderliness of ranking and obeying, subduing, putting in obedience and subjection our own hearts to what God has called us to do so that his created order is just that. It lives out in orderliness because if you don't do that, this is why we go back to the instruction, you have chaos in the home. You have chaos in the home. And mark it down, 
almost every time I have a conference with a man and woman that they're not getting along, it comes down to these very subjects. He's putting his thumb on me. He doesn't listen to me. He doesn't pay attention to me. And she doesn't do this. She doesn't do this and doesn't do that. And the problem is they're missing the point of, number one, the curse, which was what we talked about earlier. And secondly, the submission in order. Not because we want to be better than another one, but because this is just the way God has designed it to be. There was a man here some years ago who was an elder among us. He has a very successful business in town. And uh, on Sundays when he would come in, he would actually be taught the Bible by one of his employees. That's a submission thing. It didn't make the employee better than him. On Monday morning, the employee was back under the submission of the boss. But on Sundays, the boss was under the submission of the employee. That's the way it is to be in the home. In everything that we do, we are to submit to one another as brothers and sisters. But we understand that there is a role distinction. Now... Let's close all this. The reason for all this instruction is verse 5, right here. It comes down to all of this. Here's the foundation of it all. So that the word of God will not be dishonored. Why do we live this way? What's the purpose of the instruction? Why is God requiring me to change my life and go against the things that I feel inwardly, the things that want me to just lash out and, and go against? One reason. Because this is God's ordained plan from his word. And his word is final. That's why Jesus could say, there will be not one thing that passes away from my word. It will remain forever. Dishonor means to blaspheme. The greatest disregard that any person of God can do is to neglect and disobey the word of the Lord. That is fundamentally the greatest atrocity against God is to know that God says something and do something different to which we are all judged for. So the best thing any of us can do is obey him, which is why Samuel the prophet said to Saul, Saul, I get it. You wanted to do this on your own to get the act rolling and we don't have time to talk about the whole story. Saul disobeyed God in a direct commandment of what he told him to do. He was the king of Israel and Saul the prophet comes along and he says, look Saul, God is far more concerned about your obedience than he is your sacrifice. And he's saying the same thing to us. It's not up to us, beloved, to decide what's best. We look to God and we find out what he says is best and we obey. And that's where we find the blessings. We ignore his word and we make it fit our lives instead of us fitting his word and we're going to have problems every time. It's not rocket science. It's just not rocket science. It's very simple. It's very basic. That's why Paul could say, hey, Titus, I mean, I I can almost hear the conversation. Uh, Titus, this is going to sound really ridiculous, but you need to teach the older women, to teach the younger women to love their husbands. What? When was the last time you went to a wedding and the bride didn't fall all over herself, almost literally, because she loved her husband or the man she's getting ready to marry? So you get the point? We have to be instructed. If not, we defame the word of the Lord. Now, the world watches us and the world wants to know if we really believe in the God we say we do. And if we don't obey what little they know, then how are they ever going to follow the one that we know. 
right? That means we look at our hearts and we say, God, I need to change. Or better, where do I need to change? And God will certainly do that. Why? Because he wants us to obey him. Why? Because he has great blessings. Why? Because he's God. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, as I was saying to the early service, this is always fascinating to me as the Lord brings to us this week of the month to celebrate communion and all the things that are going on in our world. How beautiful it is for us to pause now as we just reflect for a moment on what God has done for us. The Lord Christ, I should say, has done for us out of obedience to his Father. Where it's really a good thing he was God come in the flesh because uh, as we've all, or many of us have had the conversation before, that um, if this act that Jesus performed was left up to us, y'all wouldn't be here because I wouldn't have done it for you. I mean, would you? No, you wouldn't. Number one, you couldn't because only God could do it. But that's why we worship him. And that's why we pause right now to remember the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us to make sure we stay focused on what we need to stay focused on. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11:23, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So would you take part in that? In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Did you take part in that? Verse 26 is the concluding matter of it all. Jesus says, For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Ladies, can I just say to you this morning, older women, younger moms, younger women, we honor you because of God and because of how priceless and precious you are. You're not a tool. You're not a slave. You're not someone to be in bondage to some other person. You're a priceless creation from God. Don't let this world tell you or drive you in a direction that's not true. Now, I know I'm talking to predominantly older ladies, but that's exactly the point. God has given you some instruction, which is to obey and to teach the younger ones that there is great value in their lives. Our world is rapidly teaching them you have no value. Go be something that only the weirdest of minds could create. When we have the truth right here in front of us, and in our sphere of influence, it's up to us, you particularly today, to be able to say, hey, let me just sit with you for a little while. 
Can I show you some things? Can I help you along the way? Can I just walk alongside of you to help you to see what God has planned for you? In fact, I would pray right now as we close that God would put somebody on your mind that you could contact and just simply try to have a meeting with, maybe talk to him over the phone, whatever you can do, write a letter to him and just say, hey, I just want you to know I'm here for you and here's what God says. And we'll just let God guide you in that. So let's pray together and uh, praise him and honor him, but also ask of this request. Father, we do just that. We praise you because you are God and we make no um, excuse for who we are or the, what we believe or the way we live this life as long as it follows your word because of you, your being God. And so, Lord, we thank you for your instruction. We thank you that you are unafraid to rub against the grain of our sinfulness because you only have what's best for us in mind. So, Lord, as we process these things, I pray that you would help our older women to see that they still have a function and a role in this life and that the younger women would listen and they would also pay attention. And even now, Lord, if there is an older woman here who's paying heed to this today, I pray that you would put on her mind the heart of some young woman who could really use an older woman to come alongside them. And Lord, even now we pray that you would begin to rescue that soul if that's what's necessary, or maybe even just provide guidance. Lord, we give you this time, and we thank you for our ladies. We honor them because we know you honor them. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. All right, Lord's blessings to you all. Go in God's peace, and uh, enjoy the life God has given you. Amen.